Tis the season for icy and snow-covered roads, so we're going to explore what the state is doing to keep New Yorkers safe behind the wheel, while also trying to embrace more environmentally friendly alternatives to dumping rock salt. To make sense of this broad issue, we're joined in the Capitol Press Room studio by Rob Fitch, Director of Transportation Maintenance for the State Department of Transportation. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you. Glad to be here. And also with us in the studio is the department's assistant commissioner for operations, Pat Barnes. Thanks for the visit, Pat. Thanks for having me. So for starters, how many miles of roads and bridges is the State Department of Transportation responsible for clearing and keeping safe in the winter? We look at our, our roadways by lane miles. Okay. And we have a 37,000 lane miles statewide that we maintain, as well as uh, just under 8,000 bridges that we maintain. And lane miles is an important distinction because some roads can be one, two, three lane lanes, etc.? Correct. One mile of a two-lane road is two-lane miles. And how do you determine when you deploy personnel during the winter and what they'll be doing? For example, do you have a formula that you follow for, say, set amounts of rock salt you might utilize for certain conditions or, you know, how much snow prompts someone to go out, for example? Well, for starters, our snow and ice program, uh, it's based on those lane miles, and we assign a truck to every one of those lane miles. We break them down into what's called beats. Mm -hmm. So generally, every truck has about 30 lane miles associated to it, unless it's a higher class roadway, like, you know, something like the north way out here, where we might have 20 lane miles associated with it. So every one of our trucks is accounted for with those lane miles, and then obviously we have operators to drive those trucks. Once we get into a snow and ice event, we have prescribed application rates for salt, which we use to make sure that we're maintaining the safe operation of the roadway, but still not overusing the material. And what is it about the machines that allow you to set certain levels of salt? Are there technology that you can utilize that alters, say, the flow of rock salt that's being deployed? That's an excellent question. You know, our, our equipment is state-of-the-art, and um, the salt spreading equipment that we have on our trucks allows us to provide very prescribed rates of material. So we, we apply it in uh, what's called pounds per mile. So our application rates can be, you know, 150 pounds per mile, 200 pounds per mile, things of that nature. We were studying how much salt we put out on the roads based on those those parameters. And as a comparison, if you buy a bag of the uh, Instamelt, right, you go to Home Depot, Lowe's, and buy that. No free ads, but it, it'll keep going. And, and you, uh, if you follow the, the directions on the back of that and apply it at the rate that they suggest and compare that to our 180 pounds per lane mile, let's say you have a 100-foot uh, by 20-foot driveway, and you follow the directions on that bag, you're going to put out about a 5-gallon pail of, of salt, right? Putting out our salt at 180 to 200 pounds per lane mile, that's about a little bit more than half of a coffee can. Hmm. So it shows, I think, I, I was always impressed when, when, when I learned that, how we do care about the environment and we do not try to use too much. We don't want to burn the ice off. What we want to do is just put enough salt out there so it creates a brine and the, the ice never sticks to the pavement. That's our goal. Well, yeah, I want to get into the environmental aspect of this. But first, I'm curious, how, if at all, do you consider the long-term conditions of the road when figuring out how you're going to deploy your resources? For example, I have to imagine if you're going over a road with a snowplow or deploying rock salt, it does impact the wear and tear of the road. So is that something that you're able to factor in, or can you not really think about that when trying to think about the immediate road safety for that immediate winter? storm, for example? 
I would say we're not taking that into consideration immediately, but dropping the iron down on asphalt or a bridge, it is going to have some wear and tear, but it's, it's not an immediate cause and effect type of thing. But uh, over time, it, it will deteriorate. Do you ever get jealous of the DOT people in Florida who never have to do that? Yes. <laughs> so a year ago, the Transportation Commissioner was on the show, and she said there were about 3,800 supervisors and operators working to keep roads safe in the winter. And at the time, the department was looking to fill about 540 permanent and seasonal maintenance posts to help with road safety. What's the personnel situation like now uh, a year later? We're in a much better place now. Um, Rob would probably have the exact number, but we're probably within about 20 positions from being uh, completely filled. Really? So how do you you attribute the change over the last year, Rob? Well, we've done a lot of recruiting. We've been very aggressive with the way we recruit, uh, but we also received a uh, geographic pay differential, which Mm -hmm. was a a boost in the salary for our CDL operators, and that was a big help. And, um, you know, in addition to the recruiting, we really invest a lot of training in our operators. And we find that once we, we get them on board, we get them trained up, and they begin to see the public service that they provide by keeping the road safe, they generally want to stick around. So our attrition rate has been very low. When it comes to recruitment and retention, who are you competing with? Is it the state thruway authority? Is it other local governments and they might have better packages to offer they got fancier equipment what is it that you're competing against all of the above and keep going it's the it's the private sector as well so really everyone is looking for uh for cdl drivers because nationwide there is a shortage of of cdl operators and do you have to try to create i guess pathways for these drivers so that they can advance up the ladder or do you find that people are you know satisfied with some of these maintenance positions in the longer term that's one of the big changes we've made to our recruiting is we're looking for additional avenues we can create for these cdl operators i mean a lot of folks come in they want to be a cdl operator for their entire career and that's great but a lot of folks don't they want to have other opportunities and other ways to move up so we're looking at finding ways for them to uh, transition into our our fleet maintenance side of the house where they can become a mechanic as well as some opportunities to come onto the, the technical side and uh, be more of a technician on, uh, you know, like the engineering side of the house. There are some avenues that we have created for them. So when it comes to road safety, whether it's during the winter or around the year, how much of your strategy is informed by those people who are, you know, literally going to that spot where the rubber meets the road. Do, do they come back to you with ideas on road conditions and what they should be doing specifically in the winter? They are our eyes and ears out there during these events, real time. And, and we don't just wait for information to come from them after the event. We're looking for information real time for them to radio back to us as they're seeing things. Well, you mentioned the different competition for these drivers. How much work is done by the State Department of Transportation and how much is contracted out with uh, local municipalities? I mentioned we have 37,000 lane miles that we maintain. We have about 7,000 that are maintained by municipal contractors. And these, aren't, these are not private contractors. They're municipalities that we, we contract out with to perform snow and ice on these roadways for us. 
in a perfect world, would you prefer to have state DOT employees responsible for all of this, or does it make sense to utilize personnel who might have overlapping jurisdiction? It makes sense to have a, a healthy mix. Um, for instance, a lot of these municipal contracts that we've created have developed over a need. For instance, maybe uh, we don't have a, a shop or a maintenance shop near a, a few roadways, mm-hmm. but a municipality does. It makes sense to pay them to maintain those roadways to keep us from having to build infrastructure to support that. Well, sticking with that relationship between local governments and the state, a report that came out in the summer on the devastating Buffalo snowstorm from a year ago called for stronger communication and coordination. I'm curious if that storm and the response changed or reinforced the DOT's approach to road safety in the winter in any way, shape or form. I would say it reinforced what we're doing. Um, there was an after-action report. Uh, we've looked at that. One of the things that we're we're looking to do is uh, kind of encourage people to subscribe to the New York Alerts mm-hmm. uh, system. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You can. I get the traffic ones every yeah, day. Yeah, for so, How long does it take me to get to the Capitol? So, so that there's there's a good way that you know we can communicate with the public. You know, stay off the roads. This is why these roads are closed, and that sort of information. And also, uh, we're looking at some of the messaging we put out on our variable message boards, and maybe making a, a, a little a little stronger message uh, to to get people to uh, heed the warnings. Well, sticking with the idea of messaging, do you think there needs to be some sort of public messaging campaign about uh, the expectations of New York drivers when they're out in the winter, both in terms of whether they're going to actually drive and and how they're going to drive in in the winter? Because I have to imagine you're probably pretty frustrated by the people who think that uh, winter driving should be the same as summer driving. Yeah, I, I, I think we could always do better in educating the public. I know I learned a lot when I came to operations. Um, you know, you don't really pay attention. But, you know, getting people to not pass the plow, you'd be surprised how many people think it's a good idea to pass the plow and they have crashes. Mm-hmm. You know, give our people uh, room to work. Uh, another thing that I think is important for people to understand is, you know, Rob talked about we have beats and, you know, we have one truck per beat. We have two drivers assigned to it. Our people aren't 24-7. But what we do is during an event, uh, we have two shifts. We have a morning shift and an afternoon shift. When we have an event, what we'll do is each shift will will operate for 12 hours, and then they'll switch. So during an event, we're 24-7. But if there's not a weather event happening, uh, we're not we're not a 24-7 operation. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Well, well beyond just not passing plows. I have to imagine you'd prefer it if people who might uh, go 75 on the north way to get to the capital from Saratoga Springs, if, you know, I just think of a random radio host, for example, you'd prefer it if they go maybe a lot slower if there's snow or ice on the ground. Absolutely. And, and uh, another th- another uh, thing that I want to point out is when we're actually plowing, mm-hmm. the trucks are only doing about 30 or 35 miles an hour. Uh, and, and so I think a lot of people think we're doing that to, to aggravate them, but that's not the case. The reason we do that is is we're uh, putting the salt out the back of the truck. If we're going too fast, the salt will bounce, gotcha. and then it bounce off, bounces off the road. So you know, people need to understand we're, we're doing 35. They should do 35 as well. Yeah. Back to those expectations, Joe, I, I tend to think that we're a victim of our own success in many ways because our, our operators are so good at maintaining the roadways in a safe uh, manner that uh, you know, we all become conditioned to that and we expect to be able to drive faster during these events. 
we do a, a lot of uh, pre-storm messaging um, when uh, when we're expecting some weather. We'll put message boards up, you know, uh, hazardous weather expected. Please adjust your speed accordingly. We really need folks to heed that because, you know, it, it isn't reasonable to be driving at these very high speeds during these events. And after a quick break, we'll have more on how the State Department of Transportation tries to keep our roads and bridges safe during snowy and icy wintry conditions. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're talking about how the State Department of Transportation tries to keep roadways safe during the winter. And our guests are Rob Fitch, Director of Transportation Maintenance for the State Department of Transportation, and Pat Barnes, the Department's Assistant Commissioner for Operations. So the DOT's responsibilities include about 30% of the paved roads in the Adirondacks, which is a unique environmentally sensitive area that was the subject of a recent report on how to reduce the use of road salt. I want to get into how you're responding to that report. But first, I'm curious how the DOT has approached road safety in the Adirondack Park traditionally. For example, would you use the same techniques and practices in the park in years past that you would use elsewhere in the state? Or has the unique environment of the Adirondacks been something that has guided the DOT's approach to road safety in the region in the past? We're certainly, you know, aware of the environmental aspects of the Adirondack Park, but we still have that same obligation to maintain our roadways in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. So we, we have the same treatments that we use. The one difference that we might use is uh, salt that we use. We use what's called treated salt in many locations in the Adirondack Park. And treated salt is a regular rock salt that's been treated with another salt called magnesium chloride. What that does is it allows it to work at a much colder temperature. So really it's an acknowledgement that the temperatures in Adirondacks are much cooler in many locations. So we'll use that salt that's a bit better at the lower temperatures. But you know, with respect to our roadways, it's still important to point out that the New York State roadways in the Adirondack Park still are the highest class roadways in the Adirondack Park. I mean, uh, we do have some interstates that, you know, that, that kind of skirt the edge of the park, but even our secondary roadways, they connect communities, you know, so we still maintain 24-7 safe operation of those roadways. Well, shortly before the Christmas holiday, as part of the state's implementation of some of the recommendations from the state's Adirondack Road Salt Reduction Task Force, the DOT announced it would be using liquid-only snowplow routes in part of uh, Clinton County. My understanding is that this requires a salt brine as opposed to granular salt before a storm. Can you talk about the environmental benefits from this uh, change? That's correct. Uh, you know, New York State has been used, using brine for several years now, and, and it's our goal to increase our brine usage uh, every year. And because the reason, our reason for that is we believe that brine allows us to use less salt while maintaining uh, a safe operation of our roadway. So this, uh, what we call a DLA or direct liquids application beat that we have in Clinton County, we're applying liquid brine only throughout the event. We're not applying granular rock salt at all. Instead of being uh, equipped with a hopper that spreads salt, our plow truck is equipped with a tank that will spread uh, liquid brine. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the rates that they're using of the liquid brine results in less overall salt usage for that bee as opposed to a granular application. Is that because granular salt is more prone to blowing off the road when cars and other trucks come by? Or is there something about the liquid that makes it stay there? That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other part of it is it's important to know that salt doesn't do anything until it goes into solution. Right. So what we're doing is we're jump-starting that process by putting it on the road already in solution. So it's more effective. So the salt brine approach was deployed back in Herkimer County in 2021 and was used in other parts of the state even before that, including by localities. So is there reason to believe that this process doesn't work widespread and that it needs to be tested out, say, in limited pilot experiments, or could this be done more broadly right now? Well, we're optimistic that it could be extended, Mm -hmm. but we need to make sure we can do it. We take the the safety of our roadways very seriously, so we want to be very measured with how we do this. So we tried a pilot in Herkimer County. Uh, That was successful. So now we wanted to try one in the Adirondack Park where the temperatures are a bit cooler to see if we can make it work effectively there as well. And other states have done it in the Midwest as well. But we want to be confident that we know how to implement it and we know how to implement it safely before we roll it out to a larger scale. It, it, it requires different infrastructure too in order to, to pull this off and, and it's not available everywhere. Um, you need lots of water, right, mm-hmm. to, to make the brine. You have to have the ability to, you know, get the brine from the tanks you're holding it in into the truck in a timely manner. Rob talked about how our beats are, you know, 20 to 30 miles long. They're, they're designed to be, you know, every two hours, you know, we're, we're cycling through a beat. So, you know, filling a truck uh, with, with uh, large volumes of, of water takes a lot longer than dumping a, a couple uh, front end loaders of, of salt in the back of a truck. So we have to be careful where we're trying to use it. We'll probably be looking at, to do it in more locations. Well, based on the Herkimer experience, is there reason to believe that if the infrastructure was in place, that that could be deployed in areas of similar conditions in the near future? I think that's reasonable. It's reasonable to think that we could. And for the Clinton County experiment, is this something where one winter of this process will be enough to gather the data you need to potentially deploy it throughout the Adirondacks? Or is this a process where you'd like to go through multiple winters uh, before you feel safe utilizing this more broadly? It really, it all depends upon the winter, honestly. Um, I hope that we don't have enough winter weather this year to fully evaluate it, honestly. I hope we have a mild winter. But there are many different types of weather, many different types of winters, so I think it's uh, it would be very optimistic to think one winter will allow us to do it. So the state DOT has also pledged to work with local governments to explore the potential of chloride-free pilots uh, for low-volume local roadways and learn from existing chloride-free areas within the Adirondack Park. That kind of sounds to my ears like the commitment I make every year to, say, explore the possibility of losing weight. But how do you ensure then that the state's commitment becomes more tangible than my yet-to-be-realized effort to weigh 180 pounds again? I am aware of one location right now where they're currently doing a chlorides-free, and that's in Lake Placid Mm -hmm. uh, around Mirror Lake. The commitment we have is, you know, we know they're doing it. Now we really need to partner with the with the town to help them gather the data that we need to evaluate these these uh, uh, situations, and then uh, as we see successes, uh, we have meetings with municipalities uh, throughout the state, and and you know we we can just take these these success stories and share it with other municipalities that are looking to explore similar operations. 
So you feel like this is something that can be realized, and as opposed to my cynical ears, this isn't like about kicking the can down the road. Yes, I think it can in certain locations. Well, finally, there's a reference in that uh, pre-Christmas press release to managing cold spots. What is that referring to? What are you hoping to address? A cold spot is what we would normally refer to as a nuisance location or a location that warrants additional treatments uh, other than, you know, our normal segments of roadway. And uh, those nuisance locations can be due to being particularly cold. And there are just some spots that just due to geology, I think, are cold and warrant additional treatments. But there's other ways that could also cause a location to be a nuisance location. Shading is a great example where where maybe the tree canopy is causing some shading on a particular piece of roadway that doesn't allow it to get as much sunlight and uh, get as clear as we would like it. But there's also other ways that you could have a nuisance location. Possibly it's some poor drainage. Maybe there's some underground water that pumps up through the roadway. Or maybe it's a, a ditch that isn't deep enough and could cause water to uh, sheet across the road and refreeze. It's those cold spots and those nuisance locations that we want to start identifying and address them with our summer program during the summer to cut down on that need. You know, so does that mean like chopping down trees to like eliminate shade for certain it, areas when it, it comes to that, that issue? It could be, but it could also be these other work as well, doing some drainage work, doing some ditching, putting some under drain in to get rid of that groundwater. But yeah, all of those things could be part of that solution. And how do you get a handle on where all the cold spots are, given the thousands of lane miles that we're, we're talking about here? Do the drivers need to report them back? Do you want to hear from ordinary citizens on the road? What would you want to do to identify them all? Yeah, or well, you know, earlier I'd mentioned that our drivers are our eyes and ears out there real time, and they truly are. But we also have equipment on our trucks, automatic vehicle locating equipment, or AVL, that allows us to track the amount of material that we're spreading uh, at a given time. So in addition to that uh, that ground truth that our operators provide, we can also look at our AVL data to see if there's any spots that are getting additional treatments that we can investigate. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been speaking with Rob Fitch. He is the Director of Transportation Maintenance for the State Department of Transportation. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Good to be here. And we've also been hearing from the Department's Assistant Commissioner for Operations, Pat Barnes. Pat, thank you for the visit and great bow tie. Thank you. It was a pleasure and it didn't hurt. Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.